The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Hello, welcome to episode 23 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director, and I am joined by Kevin Whelan, the founder of Wealth Builders. Hello. Hello, Christian. This is a good evening, isn't it, really? It is indeed. It's a bit of a late night recording session for us today, but we're looking forward, looking forward to it as always. Rock and roll podcasting. It is, it is. And, we, and we've, we've actually picked up on, on something that our members have been giving us feedback on this week and our foundation members have been focusing over the last couple of weeks on the roof. And we covered the roof back in episode eight. And the roof is the protection of yourself and your assets. But specifically, there's been some questions today around trusts. So we're going to spend some time actually digging a little deeper into the different types of trust and if you need a trust, how to set a trust up, those kind of things. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, um, I think it's probably the most challenging one because it isn't something that people naturally hear about. You know, so as a reminder, Chris, there are kind of four basic elements in the roof. And the roof, if you imagine the logo of our business, Wealth Builders, is a foundation on which we know how to build solid things, seven pillars on which to build your wealth, and then a roof which basically makes the whole concept of your wealth watertight. And as a reminder, Chris, I also will often say you don't wait till you build your wealth before you protect. You protect what you've got as you go because everybody's got something worthy of protecting. And, you know, so the main ingredients of that, which I know our students have been really doing well at, you know, things, the easy things like uh, making a will. And uh, I think they've been dealing with that with some gusto and, and, and getting it done. And then, you know, they've been looking into, and, and, and some with different views on the issue of uh, power of attorney, the lasting powers of attorney. I think the big challenge around power of attorney is uh, recent years, Chris, the powers of attorney deal with two things, and historically they only really dealt with one. And the lasting powers of attorney sort of deal with um, health and welfare. You know, what do you feel you want to have happen if you get seriously ill? What do you feel about how you want yourself to be looked after in some kind of very on? Well, well, really unpleasant situation you might find yourself in in your health. And that's not always the most pleasant thing to to cover. So that's a matter of personal choice. And then there's this whole issue of of wealth and finance, which is critical because you really want to be sure that if anything happens to you and you lose the capacity, which is a technical term meaning having charge over your faculties, really, to make the best decisions that you can. And as we know, wealth building is a management process. It's not a passive game that you just sit and everything takes care of itself. There needs to be some management, not least because things change, tax laws change, our health changes, our relationships often change, don't they? All of these changes mean it's important to know what would happen and who could make those decisions to keep your assets protected, well-maintained, well-organized and structured 
and continue to do that if for any reason you weren't able to do that. And, you know, one of our students, actually, Chris, I don't think I shared this with you, was really quite relevant and timely and also goes to show, in fact, how quick we can respond because we're doing this late at night, really responding to the questions we've had just recently. So it's just to let you know we wanted to slide this one in and replace the one we had in, in, in mind because one of um, one of my clients um, hasn't been too well, Chris, and uh, has unfortunately you know been in a situation where um, he does not have the mental capacity to make those decisions. And uh, we really wanted to make sure that we bring that knowledge, not about his situation, but about the situation that we've the worst happens and you're just not able to make those decisions. You've given permission for your family or if you have a business, your business partners, to be able to make decisions that can best protect you when you're least able to protect yourself. So that's the important power of power of attorney. And I think there have been some questions about that, but most people are getting that done. I think the challenge with all of this is when they're looking at wills and powers of attorney kind of together, there's always this fear that you're spending money without necessarily seeing any enormous value. You know, you don't see the you don't see an increase in your wealth. You know, you don't see a, a measurable, tangible value. It's more of a peace of mind value. So some of the ways people can save money in this regard, you can register the powers of attorney yourself. Um, like anything, actually, Chris, is if you think about it, whenever we talk about any action that might be worth considering in wealth building, there are three reactions that you can have, and it sort of takes us back to episode two, I think. Um, when we talked about the drifters, the DIYers and the dynamics, and the drifters will just seek more information. Well, what do I need to know? What do I need to know? What do I need to know? And won't get it done, frankly. The DIYers will, and quite rightly, there's some of this stuff you can DIY, will will find a way to do some things themselves. And the particularly registering the uh Powers of attorney with a court of protection, you pay a small fee, I think it's 80 quid. But once you've done that, you know, you, you can easily do that rather than pay the administration fee of a legal firm. But the dynamics will look at this in the round and try and seek as much self-guidance as they can and maybe to realize that sometimes it's important to seek the advice of a professional. And, uh, you know, we have got a number of professional people that we trust, so we might uh, be willing. I don't think it's important to, to to make the recommendation on the podcast, Chris, but it, it would be useful to say if anybody's struggling with this, they could give us a call and we have a number of people we trust, not only to do the work, but have a sympathetic style in doing this and definitely not looking to kind of bump and upsell people from, oh, you know, basic will to something more complicated or and so on, as I think one or two of our students have felt when they've gone to get legal advice, there's a feeling that maybe they're not getting the advice they should get. Maybe they're just feeling that there's, um, you know, they're being accelerated to spend more money without knowing the reason why. So it's just, just important that we come from this from a place of trust. We don't come at this from a place of we need to make a recommendation or want to make a recommendation. Uh, we don't mind if people seek out their own, and that's good. But if people are struggling, we're more than happy to help with with people that 
I've taken years to build relationships, and there's a couple of people in particular, you know, one person who's very much about face-to-face and seeing people because he feels that's the best way to make people feel at ease, and another person who's much more about trying to explain things, you know, remotely by phone because it keeps the cost down, frankly. Um, so both ways are just ways that you can deal with it. So, so anyway, that's the issue of the power of attorney. The other two areas, Chris, of home ownership and the use of trusts are really causing people a lot of confusion and maybe be worth spending the rest of this podcast just clarifying those points. Sure. Yeah, I think we should. And um, just just one final point on on the last aspect as well is like many things, when you head to Google and you start searching on the internet, you find a very wide range of of offerings. And some are, as you say, more on the DIY side of things and can be, you know, under a hundred pounds and others which are several hundred. So it, it does cause confusion for people. And some people are uncertain over, you know, the validity of of doing a will and those kind of things yourself online. And do they really cover everything that needs to be covered? And and therefore does it does it pay off to actually engage a professional to help? So I think there is this uncertainty around around the matter. Well I think everybody's different. I mean if you think about a will in reality, Chris, it's it's just a legal document that once it's written on a piece of paper um, or or electronically stored increasingly, but let's say for the sake of an argument, people can imagine a document. And once it's written and then independently witnessed by two people who can't be beneficiaries, in other words, two separate people who are never going to benefit from that will, you've got yourself a legal will. The key issue, though, is knowing what are the things to that are important to have considered, you know, because I could make a will today and say, uh, this is the last will and testament of Kevin John Whelan. I'll leave everything to my wife and hands off anybody else who wants any of it and get it witnessed by two independent people. And that's a will, you know, so it can be as simple as that, but it belies the question of, well, you know, should I be saying anything or do I have, children now my children are over 18 now so that's no longer relevant so i had a different will when i had younger children appointment of guardians and things like that so it's just it's really just important to understand your own situation you could have complexity in terms of lots of property or lots of assets or assets in different countries and somebody with more knowledge can help you just do a better job and usually it's still only a few hundred pounds and if you end up protecting something hugely valuable in your life and you get the peace of mind of feeling you've done a good job, not a job that could backfire in some way, then spending a few hundred pounds with a professional might just be worth your while compared to trying to do it on your own. But but everyone's different. So, you know, I don't really try and get involved too much. I think the more you build your wealth, the more you'll need professionals, which is why this whole issue of wealth builders is about tapping into the knowledge base of others in a trusted community. And perhaps what we need to do then is just introduce some of those people that we trust, Chris, where individuals are having some challenges. Yeah. And the key really is if you don't have a will, just get a will done, you know, just as you say, get a simple will if you're you're uncertain. Um, and then that, at least that gives you that breathing space then maybe to investigate it a little bit further. Yeah, because having a will means you can change it. 
not having a will means you can't. You know, you're then caught in the terrible trap of intestacy, and that's definitely one that you can Google. You know, what are the intestacy rules, which is the will de facto you've got by essentially the government creating a set of rules that exist if you don't create a will in your own name. So definitely worth Googling that. So no no reason at all not to get a will done, no reason at all not to at least consider the powers of attorney and choose to do some or not. It's up to you. But if you own a home, it's important definitely to consider how you own that home. And you may recall, Chris, there are two ways that property can be owned. If you're talking about a family, you know, a wife typically, let's say. And those two ways are joint tenants and tenants in common. And the the issue becomes more relevant as we get into the issue of trusts, because for the most part, you know, most people will own their home as joint tenants. So husband and wife, they will own them as um basically together joint and severally. And therefore, when you own your home as joint tenants, the home doesn't go through the will because the ownership of the property as joint tenants automatically creates a legal relationship between the two parties. It just basically says, you know, let's take that as an example. If I owned my home as joint tenants with my wife, then if I die before her, she gets the whole property. And if she dies before me, I get the whole property. And our will has nothing to say about the property because the land registry document and the creation of the joint tenancy overrides anything. So there's no reason when people say, well, how should I mention my property in your will? Well, you don't. If it's joint tenants, you don't need to because it's already taken care of. And joint tenants sounds logical, but it isn't always the best thing to do because in some situations just understanding tenants are common might bring some added value and i won't go into all of the details but i'll certainly cover maybe one or two of the key uh, salient points the tenants in common essentially then creates a different relationship altogether it basically now brings the will back into play it sort of says well i own my half share of the property and my wife owns the other half share. So if I have a will, I've got to say what I want to be done with my half share. Now, the way you check this, by the way, or you may want to change it is just to to look at the, the records on land registry for your property. And there's a few bits of information in there if you were able to look. Now, we look at these things all the time. Chris at Wealth Builders. So if anybody's struggling to find out, you know, the property, the registration of their property, and they're struggling with it, if they give us a call and they're part of our community, we'll look it up for them. Okay. So we have a license to look into land registry. So more than happy to help people do that. But the special set of wording, and it's a bit complex. I think you've got the wording, Chris, haven't you? What it says on land registry, if it's tenants in common? Yes, I do. Um, Bit of a mouthful. Yeah. So, I mean, you need to check your title register document and that will obviously show the names of the people that own the property. And if you are tenants in common, it will also have this wording. And it is a bit of a mouthful. I'd probably, if I share it in the show notes, that's probably probably best. So people have a copy of that. Yeah, I think that makes a good idea. Uh, And of course, you know, the, the, the issue is, though, well, why would anybody do that? And the reason you might have 
a property and you might want to create it as tenants in common, well, one of those reasons is, and I mentioned this on the podcast when we talked about the roof, I think, is the issue of keeping and preserving the property in the family in the event of, say, long-term care. Now, this is only one example, so I think I'll just give the one example so we can focus on trust. But if, for example, then, um, you know, I own my half share as a tenant in common, and let's say you can own in any proportion you want, but for the sake of simplicity, let's say we call it 50-50. So I own a half share of property rather than 90% or 80% or whatever percentage. So because I've got a half share, now I can leave my half share to whoever I want to in my will. Now, if I want to protect the property, I could leave my half share in a trust, which essentially only takes place now in the event of my death. So it doesn't mean I'm putting my property in trust. It means if I die, then my half share can be conveyed at that point, can be moved essentially and owned by a trust fund, which is being kind of put in place almost like a box ready to be opened in the event of my death. So it's a trust that often we call it a pilot trust, Chris. It's like a pilot light. So there's a little light lit under it, not literally, of course, but it's like a box waiting to accept some money in the event of my death. And I'm being very simplistic here. So let's say, you know, for the sake of an argument, if the property was worth 500000 just because the maths is easy, I can leave my share, which in this case would be two fifty, into trust in the event of my death. But with the trust being written with full flexibility for my spouse to live in the property and treat it as if, you know, she had full rights of occupation and she could sell the property, move to another property and so on. But what has it actually done? Well, creating that trust is really removed a half share of the property into a trust fund with all the discretion of my family or whoever my beneficiaries are to to do what they need to with that property. But the key thing is then, if my wife then later goes into some form of care, then she's assessed really only on what she has. And what she has is half a house. So it's protecting the property in the event of her going into some form of care. And then if she dies, then her half share can be placed in a trust as well. So what that's doing is protecting in this example of £500,000 property, two lots of 250000 again, being simplistic, you'd expect property might increase in value between the death of one and another, but maybe not. And what you're really doing is saying, well, the property is now is, is protected in a trust, so it also protects it from the next generation if they were to get divorced or to, if they received the property directly, it could be part of their estate and their assets. So just clever ways of being able to use an asset that you're going to keep in your life, you're going to want to have in your life, and just a way to do that. There's no legal obligation to do it. There's no right and wrong here. It's just a question about how important is it to you to protect your property in the way that we've just described.
by placing the property or your share of it into trust only on your death. So let's reassure people, Chris, we're not saying you put your property in trust, you don't. Your property is exactly doing what it's doing. But on your death, the trust becomes alive. That's when the pilot light kind of switches on, if you like. And that's when um, the property would, would go into that trust fund. Does it, is that a, an explanation that works for you? Yeah, it is. And you mentioned the word discretionary there. And I know that this has come up as well in our Facebook group, which is the difference between discretionary versus absolute. So is it, I think it's worth just to define that so people understand the difference between the two. Yeah, because as soon as you start Googling trust, you're going to get all sorts of different wordings and different kinds of trust. So I'm only really going to talk about three types of trust, Chris. I think that's as far as a wealth builder needs to go uh, right now. You don't need to go any further than that. We're going to talk about these trusts now, which are what we call pilot trusts. We'll talk about life assurance trusts, and we'll talk about pension trusts. And, and I'll come back to what a trust is in just a minute as we circle back. Um, and maybe I should have covered this earlier on, but never mind. The The point about discretionary versus absolute is in life, nothing is certain. You know, we really don't know what's going to happen to our health, our relationships, our business, our jobs. You know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. So I can't think of a circumstance, really, or the circumstances will be very rare, that you would know what you want to do with your asset absolutely today that will never, 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 never change. So if that isn't likely and you don't see that, then the trusts will always be discretionary, which basically means you're giving power and flexibility to the people who operate that trust the trustees, to be able to make decisions that are good for the family and will further help to both enhance and protect the wealth of the whole of the family and generations to come. So I think we should probably not really dwell too much on absolute trusts. Um, And we don't need to go into the other definitions of different trusts. I think we just can stick with the ones that we need to pay attention to, which are the three that I've mentioned. So the purpose of a trust is really to it's just um it's really a place to protect and ring fence something. And this is a matter of law that's been going for you know generations and generations and generations. Literally hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years trust law has been in place. And the purpose of a trust really is to put something somewhere and create a set of rules. Well, the most popular ones that exist are, first of all, the life assurance trust. Well, why would life cover and trusts go together? Well, it's sort of slightly more obvious there because in when you're building your wealth and building your assets, you want to keep control over those things because you're there to enjoy them. You know, you're there to enjoy the cash flow, enjoy the capital enjoy the use of the assets and be flexible on how you want to deal with those assets. Life assurance isn't a bit isn't really like that too much because you know if you die you're not going to see the proceeds. You're never going to get the money. So you will never be the beneficiary of your own life policy. 
um, now there are some situations where there's different ways to set up and different types of life cover, but let's be simple about this. Most people will have life cover because they've got a debt or because they want to provide either a capital sum or some form of ongoing income to a family who would be left in financial distress in the event of the death of another. Stated differently, if you're not wealthy yet and you've got a family you would like to be wealthy, but you just haven't created the wealth yet, then you can use life insurance to provide some kind of a capital sum that will enable the next generation or the people who you want to be wealthy with you, just you weren't there to do it, and you want that money to be paid to them. But rather than be paid to them through the will, in other words, you die, the death certificate goes to the insurance company, and they say, okay, we need now to see the will because the will needs to be proven for the proceeds to be paid out. What if you drifted on it? What if you didn't get around to doing the will? What if your situations got complicated? That life insurance policy could be in the coffers of the insurance company for years until all of this gets unraveled. Can you see how the importance of all these things are joined together, as Chris? That you like, if you need life cover and you choose to have it, that's up to you. If you choose to have it, then a simple additional form, it's a one-pager, you don't even have to pay a lawyer to do it. All insurance companies will have a document, which is a trust document, uh, which they will allow you to fill out a form that says, in the event of my death, I would like the proceeds of this life insurance policy, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, to go to dot, dot, dot. Now, let's be simple. If it was, I want the proceeds of my policy to go to my wife, whose name is ABC, and I sign that document, and the trust is therefore, uh, life insurance trust is done, then in the event of my death, the insurance company just need to see the death certificate. They don't need to see probate granted. They don't need to go through that process. Why? Because the policy overrode the need for the will. It just said, go straight to Mrs. or Mr. whoever it would be. And so, you know, that's number one. And number two, if the proceeds are in a trust, then it's possible to, uh, again, have the proceeds of that life policy paid into one of those pilot trusts, you know, the kind of little box that the proceeds for the life cover now get paid by the insurance company, but they get paid into a box. They don't get paid into your wife's bank account or your husband's bank account. They get paid into a box. Now, why would that be useful? Well, it might be useful if you want the proceeds of that policy to have the same flexibility as you would want with the property so it doesn't form part of your estate. Or you've got flexibility for your wife to choose what she wants to do, or husband to choose what they want to do with those proceeds and keep them ring-fenced and protected from inheritance tax if that's what they want to do. Now, it is a little bit more complicated than that, but certainly for today's podcast, let's keep it as simple as that. Any thoughts or questions around that one, Chris? No, that makes that makes sense. Okay, and the thing to bear in mind is some people, <clears throat> when they get mortgages and you know, they talk to insurance brokers or mortgage brokers. 
they will often have a policy which will pay a lump sum on death and a lump sum if they get critically ill, say cancer or heart attack, stroke. You name those horrible things. And often they're together. And what you can do in a situation like that is you, again, just contact the insurer, whoever set it up for you, uh, or or just the insurance company directly if you're no longer using an, an advisor or if you did this online. You contact the insurer and you can create a document there called a split trust. What that means is, is the critical illness cover is deemed not to be in trust because if you get cancer, you want the money yourself. You don't want to pay it out into something, into a box that you need control outside of the estate. You want the money now because you either want to pay off your mortgage or you want to change the way you need to live your life. So a split trust. Your critical illness cover will not be in trust, but the life insurance part will be in trust, and that's quite normal as well. Any good mortgage broker, any good life insurance broker, uh, or contact us if you've got any doubts or concerns so you don't feel like you know, you're going to have to pay somebody fees to do this. We're more than happy to help you out if you're part of our community because we don't want you to drift on this. You know, So it's the important thing. The reason we're doing this podcast, Chris, is to respond to people who I think will go in danger of drifting because they needed to know lots, lots more than really, in some cases, they do need to know more to feel that they're in tune with their decision-making. But sometimes when it gets complicated, people get a bit lost. And so I guess that leaves us with the third type that you mentioned, the pension trust. Yeah, so, you know, all pensions, whether a personal pension, an occupational pension, and a SAS pension, which is very common amongst our community who are building pensions under their own stewardship and control where they become the trustee. If you hear the word trustee, you hear the word trust, don't you? So all trusts are operated by trustees. It's just that you're not always sure who the trustee is. So if you've got an insurance uh, scheme, let's say you've got a pension with, you know, any insurance company, ABC Insurance Brokers or ABC Insurance Limited rather, then the people who are the trustee will be the insurance company. And you will be deemed to be the beneficiaries of the trust, but the trust is still there. Now, there are some challenges with that in principle as to who's making the decisions and what can you invest in and so on, but that's not the focus of this session today. It's more about, well, if it's a trust, what is it doing for me? Well, a pension, because it is a trust, is protected from tax. So a pension trust is protected from income tax, from capital gains tax, from corporation tax, and from inheritance tax. So it's really important then to recognize that in order to make that valid, or at least to make it effective, you need to nominate, just like I said on the life insurance policy, you need to nominate a beneficiary. So who will be the beneficiary if you're no longer around when the pension pot is still there, again, whether it's a work pension or a personal pension or a SAS pension, then you need to nominate beneficiaries. So it's a trust in itself and it's inheritance tax-free. Now, SAS works like a different way because you can bring your family in so you can make your family trustees 
because you become the trustee. You're creating almost like a company, like a board of directors, a board of trustees. So there's definitely much more control, much more empowerment going on there. But all pensions are really a form of trust anyway, Chris. So for the purpose of simplicity, I would say a good, serious wealth builder should have the following. They should certainly have a valid will. And if they have a spouse or partner, make sure that the spouse or partner has a valid will. They should have at least considered very seriously the two forms of power of attorney. They should seriously consider if they've got debt or if they want to make sure there's a need for capital if their wealth building plan does not reach its fruition, that they have some life assurance and they put that life assurance in trust. It doesn't cost anything to do that. It's just a simple document. And then if you're concerned about the ownership of your property, <clears throat> check your property ownership currently. Read the show notes, which tells you what it says. And if you feel the need to change it, you can do so. But then it would make sense also to have a conversation about pilot trusts, which is the use of a trust to accept the asset in the event of your death. You're not putting it in while you're alive. The pilot trust is there just to accept something and only becomes effective on your death. So these things, yes, there's some complexity, um, but because we've got people we trust, if you're getting stuck, raise your hand, please let us know. Otherwise, if you're getting it done and you're feeling like you're in control, I think it would be great just to let us know. So we've got a feeling that uh, most people are getting this job done. Because when it's done, the peace of mind that it brings and the just the momentum of maybe making another decision, because in truth, Chris, if you get your head around this or even get somebody to help you get your head around this, this is a job that can be done within 30 days. This does not have to be dragged out for months and months and months. Yes, you can change your mind later. You know, you, you don't want to leave some money to your brother because you fell out with him. Okay, you can leave him out, but then you can change your mind later. All, all these things can be changed. What's important is you've got something in place. I would commend anybody to get started, take no longer than 30 days, get some help if they need to get help, get it done. That's been brilliant, Kevin. And I've been... Just scrolling through the foundation Facebook group, making sure we have covered everything. I'm pretty sure all the questions that were posted in there over the last couple of days have now been answered. And and this has now obviously been a value for, for everyone listening to the podcast. So thanks for demystifying the area of trust for us today. Yeah. It's um look, it it doesn't it's not the most exciting subject. It's not the thing that's gonna get people excited about you know, creating more wealth, but it serves two purposes. One, one, it says the importance of doing things when you can. And two, that just as you know, we talk about putting things in trust, it's important if you get stuck to find somebody you can trust. So the word should permeate everything. You know, go to a place where you feel that you're not being taken advantage of, that you feel that you can get it done and done. Yes, you're going to pay somebody some fees. Um, yeah, I'll take a guess, Chris. If somebody's doing everything and they were using a professional, probably two wills, two trusts, or, or certainly four pounds of attorney if they go for, for all of those, and, and possibly pilot trusts 
for severance of tenancy for their uh, property somewhere between two to three thousand pounds I'd guess um, if it's a little more or a little less then you know that's fine but you put a value on that and say well do I need all of that if not what can you do just do what you can do and you don't need everything in place day one as long as you've got certainly made a will and long as you don't power of attorney you don't need to sever the tenancy on your property um, a life insurance trust is free and a pension trust is free so you know a few thousand pounds in the end that could protect all of your assets until you need to you know tweak it again i don't think that's too big a price to pay the most the biggest problem people have is not the money it's really just understanding that they've done the right job i think we've really gone gone deep on trust today and thanks again for that kevin and we'll be picking up where we left off next week which was the investment pillar and, you know, and some people might ask questions, should I put my investments in trust? And, you know, when you get to a certain point where you've amassed so much and you've gone through the barrier of financial independence into abundance, that's when you start picking up trust then. That's when you start to think about, you know, putting things into additional trusts because now you've got so much more money than you can possibly spend. And that's a different challenge altogether. And that's the challenge we will all be facing. If we keep making one decision every 30 days, compounding and compounding and compounding. So let's get this one done and we can move on to the investment thing next week and have a bit of fun doing that. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Kevin. We'll be back with another episode of Wealth Talk next week. Thanks for listening. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.